When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> it would be a wolf, but eh? Life's good when Wolves win. Welcome, ladies and gents, to the latest episode of Wolves Fancast, part of the Audi Podcast Network. Joining me to talk about Wolves' dramatic win against Spurs yesterday, I've got Matt, Ed and Blake. Hello, gentlemen. Now, before we get into the game, um, how nice is it to not have your Saturday ruined after a lunchtime kickoff? Well, was it was it was it Gandhi that said never back the early kickoff? I think it was. I believe it it's, was. It's I one of them. Or Buddha. I can't remember. Um, but it was it's just one of them. Like all the signs pointed uh, in one direction, and um, was pleased it went against what I thought was the grain. Just uh, still, still genuinely still buzzing. Big thanks to everyone who's joining us live on YouTube, of course, and everyone's watching it back and listening via your ears on podcasts as well. Um, let's get right into it. Let's quickly talk about the team um, because there were changes um, with Bellegarde starting and João Gomez returning, but I think on paper this suited the opposition as best as possible. Uh, would would you say, Ed? Yeah, yeah, I think it made sense. We needed the the busyness in midfield of João Gomez, didn't we? And uh, Bellegarde is the the natural replacement to Neto. He's not obviously the same kind of player, but um, he's our most creative player off the bench, minus maybe the uh, the Spanish sensation that came on and changed the game towards the end. But um, yeah, it was it was the right right decision, I think, for for what we. What we were going to go up against, we were up against the Tottenham side with few injuries, and um, that business in midfield is was key. I felt for for the game as we discuss it later. Definitely, and uh, I'm really kind of keen to hear people's thoughts on Bellegarde because I'm slowly falling in love with that young man and how he plays football. Um, but I think it, it he seemed to try and fill that void that uh, Neto has left in terms of his his directness. Um, Matt, a quick one on you. Obviously, Gomez came in, um, saw Doyle drop to the bench. Bit harsh, so to speak, on Doyle, who I think seems to have done okay in his um, game so far. Do you think it's very much Hmm. squad midfield rotation? I think there is a bit of rotation of it. Gomez, I think, offers you a bit more of a physical presence, a bit more of a busyness about him, I guess. Um, the concern was, I thought we looked a really different team without Doyle against Sheffield United. I was wondering how we were going to get the ball around the field with as much 
finesse without Doyle being on when I saw he wasn't on the, the team sheet. But um, he seems to have a bit of a knack of when he comes on, has a bit of an impact regardless of whether that be at the start of the game or the end of the game. So um, it was a bit of a... Sh- I think it was slightly harsh, but at the same time, when you're playing a team, regardless of Spurs' um, injuries and what have you, I think it's a case of you still need to have legs and Gomez gives us that possibly more as a physicality than, than Doyle would have. Yeah, I um, obviously a lot was made in the week about Spurs' injuries and suspensions. And when I saw their starting lineup, that is still a 11 with, I, I believe, every outfield player internationally capped. You know, it is still a very, very strongly assembled squad. It's like, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're struggling in midfield. We're just going to have to put in our £50 million midfielder in Basuma kind of thing. It it, it feels a little bit little violence to me personally. Um, I us say, Blake, what one for you? Um, now, you're our resident American, of course. What What time did the game kick off for you, technically? It wasn't that late because I live in Florida now, so 7.30. Not that bad. Okay. So I, I guess my, my question for you then is how did you feel at uh, 25 to 8 uh, yesterday morning? Because, um, you know, for, for all the fantastic things that happened yesterday um, within the game, we didn't really get out of the traps and conceded inside the first three minutes. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And in fairness, it was a brilliant goal. I mean, uh, Kulishevsky just played a brilliant pass into what's his name, Poro, and then squared. You might have lost Blake. We've probably lost Blake. Um, yes, he's. We've lost him. We've lost him over the Atlantic. Um, I was, was going to make a, a very rude joke then, but we'll uh, we'll digress. Um, well, I could I, I could tell you from where, in my commentary position, I'd barely got going before that goal went in. I literally barely had time to like have a drink or anything. It was it was not the ideal start, was it? No, and I mean I, I've looked back at the goal a few times, and it did just feel like we weren't quite a hundred percent at the races. I don't think it was like calamity of errors, Keystone Cops type vibes, but. It just felt like Spurs just knew exactly how to pounce on us. Yeah, yeah we hadn't woken up. We hadn't woken up, had we? Sorry, Matt. We, it just felt like we hadn't woken up. We That was probably their only real good move of the match as well. But, um, yeah, it was poor defending. I think the, the still that you just had up there, it shows that there's three defenders that are caught blindsided straight away with Semedo, the only one following the run. Um and there was the slip beforehand, wasn't the dummy slash slip that maybe Totti could have cut out from the pass that got out to Kudasevsky on the right anyway. So I think there was two or three chances for us to stop that before that cross came in and Brennan Johnson doing some Raheem Sterling stuff at the back post, wasn't it? Yeah, I was going to say, um, oh, it kind of frustrates me to, uh, to say this, to be honest, but credit to Brennan Johnson, because uh, actually I think it's a very good run. And I... I I'm sure someone somewhere uh, with Yadar in their name would be blaming Samedo for that goal. And I think that that still kind of sums it up for me when you look at it, that he's the only one actually being able to 
um, track that run, and you know it, it must must be frustrating because I think beyond that, I don't really remember Johnson doing anything in the game. Um, to be honest, and well, politely, I can't remember much of Spurs doing anything in the game because mm. after that first five minutes, Wolves just just took complete control over the game. Yeah, what I found when I was watching it was that both sides were getting into the opposition territory easily enough, but nobody had a killer final pass. Spurs didn't, we didn't. We, we you know, we were attacking with intent. Samada had the keys to Molyneux on, on wide on the right. He was being given so much space, and we'd get him, but we just lacked that final pass. I don't know if you've got a graphic for it, but the corner delivery yesterday was atrocious. Um, and it was just, we just lacked that killer final edge that just would give us the goal scoring chances. I know we had a couple of chances, but Spurs on the, on, on the whole were, they, you know, they defended quite desperately as well. It, it, it wasn't a game filled with quality, but it had a Hollywood ending. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk corners because I mean, I tweeted about it throughout the game and it, <laughs> It's how I sound such a Neanderthal when I say it. It's like, how hard can it be? I don't know. Like, if you don't have the technique to kind of do one of those really flat whipped crosses in the kind of skim over, you know, six foot in the air, pass the first man and really make it difficult, maybe don't do it. I don't know. And it wasn't just, I think, Bellegarde took the first few and like they, they kept hitting the first man, to a point where I was like, is this a deliberate tactic that only he is on the same wavelength to, you know, we're knocking this near post, lads, and just no one else is picking up on it. And then I think uh, Aitnori started taking over them, and it it it, it, just, it got almost beyond a point of frustration to it becoming comical at one point. And I think that's sort of where we've probably missed, funnily enough, we've actually missed Neto and arguably Doyle in terms of actually being able to put in a delivery that is going to actually put make, make it worth Walton and Kilmer and Tossi running 70 yards at the pitch. Yeah, it felt like they were kicking a medicine ball rather than a football. Mm. Didn't it? The, the corners, it just didn't seem like they could get it more than three or four foot off the ground. It was bizarre. It, I've hated short corners ever since I can remember, but I was actually desperate for us to try one yesterday. That's how bad it was getting. I just thought maybe if we just got it 10 yards closer to the box, we might be able to lift it in. It was criminal how many... I mean, I know the stats on you actually scoring from corners are quite low, but it always gets the crowd going, doesn't it? A corner. And we all sing Come On Wonders and we all get excited and then we just hit the first man. What, nine times out of ten probably yesterday? It was yeah. awful. <clears throat> I, I believe top of my head and forgive forgive me listeners if I'm wrong on this I think it's about a 1 in 20 chance of scoring from a corner which it's, it's low yeah it, it's very, about very 5 low. I'm sure it's about 5% but you're not exactly doing yourself any favours if you're getting it nowhere near uh, you know your, your, your target men but for me and I think you touched on something there um, Ed is that Spurs were a rotated team. I know. I, I know. I sort of say, you know, they still got England former, I guess, international in Eric Dyer. They still got experienced Welsh centre, you know, defender in Ben Davis. But 
still make them test test them when they're going to have to be organised in those set pieces, because the chances are that's where they'll have their breakdown in terms of where they need to be at some certain positions. If you've got players who are filling in in certain gaps, and it just felt like that could have been a way we exploited them. And I guess one of the reasons it was so frustrating is because corners are sort of indicative of how well you're playing as well, because it's a sign that you're getting up the pitch and. You know, when you've had four, five, six of them and none of them have done anything, um, you know, as I mentioned, our three centre-backs must be fuming. Well, there was a there was a chance even. There was a, a free kick that was taken that kind of evaded Gomez and it made that Aitnor had to take it on his right. And it just we just didn't quite have team like organize organize put my teeth in we weren't organized well <laughs> when it comes to our set pieces it felt like and then the delivery when it came in you know wasn't great either it was just it was just a strange performance from both teams where both teams were kind of i think suffering the effects of them not getting off to well wolves especially not getting off to a great start i suppose spurs did but yeah just two two teams that we're just struggling with the with the occasion almost it was a strange one um and wolves i mean they they certainly had a go and they were they were playing kind of well but it was like that that killer last pass and it wasn't until i watched it on the highlights how good like like Quang's chance was and there was a Nakunya one that was sliced as well it was just on another day we we would have been out of sight which is strange mm. to think considering the team that was so high at the table the spurs are slash were i mean for Huang one it almost felt like at the time he thought he was offside because it was such a guilt-edged chance. I mean, that actually came from a bad corner and it was arguably the worst one of the day. And it ended up sort of getting itself played out of the box and Gomez had a shot and it kind of falls to Huang, who, you know, was fairly quiet yesterday. Um, and, and, and the Kuna one as well. And, but the Kuna one for me was somewhat even more frustrating Um because of how good the play was in the build-up. And it was this sort of beautiful, intricate passing where you've got so much movement and everyone kind of, they've got that feel and understanding. I think it was like Gomez, was it, who sort of broke forward and just carried on running. And just, it, it, it was magnificent to see, but, you know, it, it's a bit of the same old story that it came into the box and Kuna, you know, effectively hit it with his ankle and it curves the wrong way. Um, and it did sort of feel like it was going to be a day of we've played well, we've tried hard, we've conceded early, and that's what's let us down. But we've put in a good performance for, I say, for the fans. Um, but this team's got something about them, and I think time and time again now, and it's it's gone beyond coincidence at this point. But this team has the right mentality to do stuff. Uh, you look at all our most, I think it might even be all our wins this season. They've all come really late on in terms of the winners. And for, you know, firstly, you've got the likes of Doyle coming on and changing the pace in the middle midfield. And also Sarabia, who, bless him, he's got his critics uh, within the parish of the fan cast and otherwise. Um has there ever been a greater 10 minutes of someone in a wall shirt apart from uh, Stu during his caravan of Lavera? It, 
He certainly uh, put a lot of us to shame. <laughs> not from a substitute's point of view, I don't think. I don't remember the last time a sub came on and had such a direct impact. But it's, I think, was there was something in the group chat, wasn't there, about it's the he's the first player to come on as late as he did and have a goal and assist, which is pretty nuts. Um, and the goal itself from Sarabia, I mean, the pass from Cunha is harder than the shot that you and Matt were just talking about, Rich. So how he was able to curl that in, but he could do a much simpler job with his shot earlier on in the game, I don't know. But um, he doesn't, I think it was Andy Gillard, shout out cage fighting uh, pod um, in the group chat that pointed out that Sarabia never looks at the goal once. He takes a touch, he watches the ball and he slots it home, well, volleys it home. And it's it's a finish that you would expect of a Spanish international that went to the World Cup last year, but he's not really the player that we've seen down the Molyneux for the last 18 months or so, or however long we've had him. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I was going to say, in terms of the stats around Sarabia yesterday, uh, Pablo Sarabia's introduction in the 87th minutes uh, is the latest is the latest a player has come on um, to both score and assist in a single Premier League game. And uh, Pablo Sarabia's equaliser was the 14th uh, Premier League goal scored by a Wolves player this season. Um, but the first to be neither scored or assisted by either Pedro Neto or Juanqui Chan. That is a uh, very fun way of saying that sentence. But yeah, um, great to see someone actually stepping up and getting a goal. Um, and of course, and th- this is one I find the most amazing is uh, 35 uh, people on FPL Captain Pablo Srabi this week. Wow, that's an incredible foresight slash uh, blind faith, isn't it? That's, that, that is something. I mean, I'm pretty sure M's, um, I'm pretty sure um, Ramiro's still in my fantasy fourteen because I forgot to change it the last three weeks, but um. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, fit, I'm sliding down the, the table uh, a little bit on that. Uh, so hopefully after the international break, I can regroup and, and refresh and go again. I guess. Um, but let let's talk the goal because you, the the pass from Kuna to pick him out for run, for touch, for volley. It was just a work of art, wasn't it, fellas? It was brilliant, and dare I say it. I actually think that that finish rivals in many ways Neves' finish against Derby. Technically speaking, it wasn't as magnificent. But I think in terms of the skill that it required, it was absolutely fantastic because that first touch is just perfect. And, um, yeah, I just I just think it was absolutely beautiful. Belongs in the Louvre. Well, it does. Um, and it was – it's bonkers because obviously it's a 91st-minute equaliser – it was really nice to sort of see everyone celebrate with him because it must be quite hard for a player who's on the on the edge of things. And, you know, he's about fourth, fifth choice now in terms of being one of those forward players, effectively. Um, not quite... <laughs> I sort of get what you're saying, but I think that, that Neves goal is in a... I'm demonstrating it via my screen. Apologies, audio listeners, but Neves is his, like way past the lights behind me in terms of in terms of the magnitude of that. If, if I'm going to be honest, but it 
it was really fun to see, chiefly because I think I said it on the last pod I was on, but it's like a goal that you don't see Wolf score often. Like, when, when do you ever see? I mean, like, even if you take aside the, you know, one touch um, finish, you know, touch and finish, we don't tend to have players who make that type of run. Does that make sense? And, you know, we don't have that kind of pass that splits the defence in two and just opens up the pitch all of a sudden. Yeah, we. he made a run that no one else in that game had made, didn't he, yesterday? I think that was the difference. The, the space was there, um, set up by Gary O'Neill catching the ball um, and giving it to uh, for the for Totti to take the, the throw. But it's a, it's a very, it's not basic in terms of, you know, it's not a bad run, but it's a very straight, very obvious run into space. And Cooney's board has picked him out and, yeah, Blake's right. The first touch, the first touch is definitely better than Nevers' goal. Um, I think we can agree with that. But I think the the set the finish is maybe where the difference is. But um, yeah, it was it was it was the run of a player that thinks we've and a a pass from a team that think we had a chance in this game. You know, we never let it die. Yesterday, did we? I think that's the difference. And the camaraderie in the team that you can see from the fact that everyone did. You know, it wasn't just limbs off the pitch. It was on the pitch as well, wasn't it, yesterday? So I think you can see that whether or not, you know, we talk about the Ghana meter again. Um, there's he's definitely something safely, going on. He's just safely in, like, green light green at the moment. Yeah. I think that's... He's fine right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's, um, I think that's the difference, isn't it? I think the fact that whatever has happened in the in the last however many weeks we've had the new management team we're fitter the team is fitter with the fact that we're scoring later in games i think proves that and i think that's the biggest difference that you can see as well as the tactics um it's the fact that we were willing to go and we went again of course rich with the with the next goal as well yeah i know sort of gary o'neill alluded to it in his pre-match stuff about wanting to make sure the players are almost robotic. It was talking about like dealing with refereeing decisions. And I think I, we've said it before, like Wolves, particularly under Lopetegui, were like quite an emotionally vulnerable side. Not in the sense that they're about to cry, but they just didn't handle when things went against them. And they didn't channel it in the right way. So you'd have, you know, you look back at like that Leeds game and yeah, things didn't go our way. And they just lost their heads. Even at the start of the season, like think of like Mateus Nunes when he got sent off against Brighton. And it seems like they've worked really hard on having that resilience. And, you know, yeah, it's sometimes it's just dealing with decisions that don't quite go your way in games and, you know, carrying it through on to the next one. But it's also having that like belief, isn't it? And I think even with O'Neill's first game against Man United, and we got all those plaudits about how well we played. And I remember doing shows and saying, I'm I'm all for playing well. And we did yesterday, but it doesn't really matter if you're 10 games in and it's not quite working and people aren't busting a gut, aren't doing those runs. They aren't, you know, trying to break the lines because they don't have confidence in it working. And, if, if nothing else, that, and, and you know, I, I sort of doubt that Wolves will push on past 10th place, personally, still. 
Um, and I think we have really solidified ourselves in being, you know, 10th, 10th to 13th. I think that is where we we fit, to be honest, and probably will become May. But seeing how the, that they are able to respond to these situations is is fantastic. And they've just got that, you know, belief in themselves and, and the manager that, you know what, if we keep trying it, it doesn't matter if it's in the first minute or the 91st minute, we, c- we can get a goal here. Yeah, I mean, it's a mini miracle in itself that we're 10th, well, 12th now and looking at possibly going to 10th in the coming weeks. I mean, it's to think of how we were talking at the start of the season and, you know, we were all pretty much strapped in and thinking that we were going to be relegation strugglers. And now it seems like we couldn't be further from it. And considering how badly the lot at the bottom of the table, it, it may be that we have enough points for safety already. So, yeah, it's it's much better. And, you know, when... When I was a kid and I played ice hockey, we had a saying that if you always expect bad refereeing, you're rarely disappointed. And I think as a football team, any sport team to begin with, you just have to accept that there's going to be terrible decisions made and you just have to win the game. doesn't matter. It's going to have to happen. It's going to happen no matter whether you like it or not. And you just have to get over it and win. And with Spurs, we did it. And yeah, it was fantastic, obviously. Yeah, let, let, let's talk about that last goal um, because it, it, it was a moment of something. Um, for those listening, um, you'll hear the sound clip. Head over to our YouTube channel to see it. But let's just relive it one more time, guys. <laughs> Just magnificent. You know what? There are so many things I can say. That is my favourite thing um, about it. And let's just go around the room. You know what mine is? And it's a niche one. It's the advertisement board. Because as soon as that ball goes out wide, it then flicks up saying, score, hero. <laughs> it, the, uh, Sam Bagnall, who's a, a Wolves photographer, who many of you might know of, got a great shot of it. And it was like Lamina celebrating. It had score, hero. I was like, Hang that in the loop. Like, honestly, you can what's your hang that in the loop moment of that goal? I think, I think it is, I think it's the celebration at the end. I think that's where it is, isn't it? I think it's the it's the culmination of Lamina was the best player on the park for me, um, yesterday, and I think it's that celebration of him skidding on his knees. It's the culmination of the effort, the hard work, and the graft that we put in yesterday, and I think. To have that school hero in the background, which I think is a is a nice uh, is a nice touch. Yeah, and, and the fact that you know two subs literally ran across the pitch, you know, it's yeah, silly booking. I, I, I believe they both got booked. Yeah, they did. Um, they did. Yeah, um, and you know, Jao Gomez is someone who likes a yellow card anyway. <laughs> so yeah, but I I, I love it because. In their heads, it is it, like, well, we're on the, like we're still in this team. We are still, we're still playing. We're we're in this mix now. So why wouldn't we celebrate? And I think to be fair, they did celebrate 
the Sarabia goal, but of course Sarabia ran over to the, to the touch line. So I think they slightly got away with it, so they didn't encroach the um, encroach the pitch. There was a great picture doing the rounds on uh, social media uh, by some. Um, so if I can just find their name. Uh, it was by Alison uh, Owen who took the photo, and it's a great shot because it's. A, I don't quite know how it's laid out, but I think it's at the point where. Gomez and Aitnori are getting the card. It's just got a Spurs fan just flicking the finger at them. As they're just giving it the big one. And I just love it. I just love it. I just don't care. I just don't care. It's, uh, it's, it's it is, brilliant. It is fantastic. But I think we'd be remiss not to mention the fact that that finish from Lamina was absolutely intentional and not a whiff. The first time that I viewed it, I thought for sure he just completely whiffed on the ball. And then watching the replay, you see his foot totally angling that ball perfectly mm. into the corner of the goal. It's just oh. I was going to say, like, I realise like, I've not actually talked about the goal whatsoever, have we? We, we, we just skipped from like, yeah, celebrations now, which it, that's the part that stays with you though, isn't it? And you know who I think deserves a lot of credit for it? And, and shout out to regular um, listeners to the show, still with me. It's Tommy Doyle. Because um, I believe, I can't remember who got fouled on the halfway line. Lamina. Um, but it, it, was it even, it, even, even more amazing? Well, yeah, it was Lamina. Um, you know, because he was still pressing in the 97th minute to get in front and get, uh, you know, ahead of his man. And, I found it really interesting because I saw it in real time. You got Doherty, who's just like properly having a go at the ref because I think he didn't give one earlier in a similar position. But Doyle just quite literally put his foot on the ball and sprayed a great forward pass out, out wide and it just opened up the entire pitch. And I think that's kind of why I kind of mentioned in a way because he does things that none of our other midfield players do. In terms of things like that, and he's not a, you know, a, a, a water bottle carrier midfielder, or however you like to, um, you know, to describe it, and to again have the presence in the moment with the atmosphere, being one nil, you know, one one, and you know everything that goes with it to actually keep a level head and to pick a pass, rather than what could have easily happened. Just everyone goes forward, you know, Saar lumps it in goes nowhere and they play full time and uh, you know that again amazing incisive ball um from Sarabia and getting his assist and like again I mean Lamina yesterday that's one of the best midfield performances that I've seen a Walsher in a in a long time that wasn't just like just a really dogged performance. Like it was, he was on the front foot. Obviously, he was great in the tackle, but he was great on the ball and just sort of just pushing the play on when he could. And there was a couple of points yesterday because he had that opportunity himself in the second half, where in very similar position to where Sarabia was um, for his goal, and he tried to kind of cut it back and it didn't go to anyone. But something that sort of is missing from that Wolves midfield is having someone to now and again try and break into the box and it seemed like that was Lamina's swap today and he didn't quite execute it the first time around in the second half he definitely didn't uh, in the last couple of minutes yeah we've had metronomic midfielders haven't we with mm. uh, Matinho and Neves 
and their performances were very much on controlling the pace of the game and slowing it down and you know sidewards and not negative necessarily but sidewards passing and the long-ranging passes but Marilamina just it was a throwback yesterday to an old-fashioned box-to-box uh, midfielder wasn't it? he had a chance in the first half that was a good save from Vicario as well I think when he cut in and had a shot from sort of the right-hand side of the box he had that pullback that was inches away from getting to Doherty to tap it in and then of course the goal um, but his his quick feet in the midfield and the dr- the the driving nature of when he picked up the ball and he'd go forward is is something we have been missing and maybe next to a Neves if we could have merged those two eras of of our team would have been you know truly wonderful to see him given that free license to be a little bit more forward thinking and that's what I guess you have when you play him with Joao Gomez is the fact that Lamina maybe is allowed to to be that five ten yards further forward sometimes and to the some of the intricate passing in midfield between sort of the fullbacks and the midfielders were was quite mesmerising yesterday. I thought it was that it was a very very complete performance from nearly every one of our players. I couldn't think of one that really played badly, but Lamina just he drove that team on yesterday. He was exceptional. Yeah, and I genuinely to be still pushing on in the ninety seventh minute to be the furthest forward player to get that goal. I think, you know, that, yeah, for him, like, he's a slowly becoming a, a genuine court player at Wolves. And uh, a couple of players I wanted to sort of pick out before I kind of do a bit of stats from the game um, was Bellegarde. Again, just a, such a fun player to watch. Like, he might not quite know what he's doing all the time, but... There's, there's something, there is definitely something about him that I think slowly but surely he, he could have a real big impact in this league. Yeah, I think that all players kind of have to adapt to the Premier League a bit. But like you said, watching Belgrade has been really fun. And from the second that he came on as a rules player, I thought that he had something to him. So it's going to be really exciting to see where he goes. And considering that he's certainly not hurting the team by being the starting eleven, I, I can't argue against having a minute. No, and I think... Um... You know, we're, we're, I think um, Nevis is sort of due back to the start of December is the current projections um, from his hamstring injury. And you've sort of got to hope that he's going to actually, someone like him, is going to keep asking questions because, yes, we've got Huang, um, who is pretty consistent in front of goal and has a useful knack of getting in the right positions. You've got Kuna, who... Kuna, I find a very fascinating player, and sometimes he can frustrate the living hell out of you because he doesn't necessarily do the finished product. But then, you know, when he switched to playing on the left yesterday, um, when Sasa came on, it was like he was a different player. When the pitch had opened up, it it was he was magnificent in that wide left role, um, and I'd be interested to see if there's an option at some point to have him on the left and maybe have Kladnic in the middle and Neto on the right sort of thing maybe but yeah with, with Bellegarde I just I really hope that this isn't just his level I hope I hope his ceiling's a lot higher than this because those little glimpses that you see of what he does and 
again, it, it, it's for footwork, it's for trickery, but it's also how he just gets the play going forward. And I don't know, like, he's got a bit of experience under his belt, but yeah, I just wanted to be, I, I just really hope that he's got that belief and potential to be a star player, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's, he's got the dog in him, hasn't he? I think that's that's yeah. a phrase that you could use for him. He he doesn't know when to go down. He you know he would. His driving runs were were impressive yesterday. I think his some of his passing towards the um, yeah towards the final third of the pitch will will come with time. You'd imagine, but I think I'd prefer to see him at least getting into those positions like he were he was yesterday, and sort of being timid and maybe going backwards when he when he could have gone forwards. But yesterday he was. Yeah, driving at the team. And I think when you've just gone through some of our options there, which I think it's really important to know that we do have those horses for courses type things that we could do now. We do have a tall centre forward that we can play with Neto, a Huang or a Bellegarde that will be able to um, give him service. Cunha can be flexible enough to go out on the left. And I, I think that when Sasha came on yesterday, I don't think Tottenham dealt with the fact that we changed formation no. a little bit and they they didn't deal with Cunha very well at all when he moved out wide there was more drive from the team with him having more space to run into like you correctly pointed out and I think that was a big thing for it yesterday that the Sasha was a threat that they had to worry about which gave a little bit more space for for Cunha to to really step into definitely um I, I guess we kind of talked um, briefly about it, but wh- where does Bellegarde fit in when Pedro returns? And to be honest, I think it's all dependent on form and fitness of the players because, you know, it's it's difficult to see. And uh, this is sounding overly negative. It's not meant to be from someone who scored in um, half dozen consecutive home games schools. But Huang isn't going to keep up that form all season. Neto's probably not. Will Kuna... You know, if he's not linking up the play, you might start asking questions of him at certain points. So, you, you, I completely agree, Ed, that there is enough flexibility in this team depending on the opponents as well. And, you know, if, I definitely think, you know, that changing system kind of go from 3 5 2 to 4 3 3, borderline seamlessly. Like, we didn't, it didn't have any impact at the back. Um, it just asks so many more questions. And the fact that, you know, when you bring on a six foot, you know, a million centre forward, it it's like just absolutely, it just throws uh, defenders' minds into chaos. And we all kind of just tucked in that a little bit more. And for someone like Kuhn, that's brilliant. Just gives him that bit more space. And yeah, as, as Chris Rogers says in the YouTube comments, um, it feels nice to have some squad depth. And we're all anxious with how we're going to get on without Pedro Neto. And yeah, we didn't do well against... Sheffield United, particularly second half. Um, but I don't think it wasn't that we didn't miss Neto yesterday, but I don't think he was the overriding impact into why we didn't convert chances because we had a lot of them consistently. Um, you know, when you look at the amount of shots that we had, the XG um, statistics that came up from this game, this wasn't a case of. Spurs losing. This was Wolves deserving a win. And it just so happened they came in added time. And um, 
I don't know if you guys saw the clip of uh, Gary O'Neill uh, in the changing room yesterday, and it was really cool. I, I, I thought for a number of reasons, particularly shit a lot in like um, American sports, uh, particularly NFL post game. They do a lot of like clips in the locker room of the you know when we give out the um, match ball, and you have a head coach talking. You don't really get it here. You don't get that insight, which is a real shame. Um, and, you know for. Whatever reason it is, Gary O'Neill's really keen to get his message out there publicly. And the club definitely are too, whether it's him doing Monday Night Football or that clip of him, you know, setting the standard, I believe it was, um, you know, saying that that's our level. Um, yes, so that's what we need to happen. Um, you know, it's, it, it was very humbling as well because he sort of says, you know, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't do that when I was a player. It was, you know, I, I could work hard and everything else, but I didn't, I couldn't have done what you guys did yesterday. But now we need to do that week in, week out. Um, and, you know, it's obviously it happens after every win or whatever, but that's the bar you set, but it doesn't half make you feel good. Um, but when, when you, you know, it's, it definitely gets, uh, you want to get behind them. I think there's a lot of accountability there as well, isn't there, with all of these PR that, that the club are doing, that Gary O'Neill's doing. There's an accountability there that he wants to hold the players to that standard because we are where we are for a reason, right? We we can't beat Sheffield United. We've had some dreadful decisions against us. But, you know, we played pretty poorly against Luton, poorly against Sheffield United, brilliantly against Man City. There's a reason we are where we are in the table, like Blake talked about earlier. So... I think all of that is accountability, not just for the players, but also for Gary O'Neill to say to maybe to the fans that we have at times doubted him, that there is some accountability there. And this is the standard that I hold the players to. So therefore, that's the standard that you need to hold me to. I don't, I don't know if that's his, what he's thinking in the background, but uh, he's coming across really well at the minute, really, really well in, 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 in the public eye, definitely. Well, you know, I said at the start of the season that, one of the opportunities that Gary was going to bring is that it was going to bring Wolves an opportunity to sort of start afresh and get this rebirth that I think Wolves needed after losing so many players. And as tough as it was to see Lopetegui go, I think we can all agree Lopetegui wasn't all that interested in being Wolves manager when it really came to it. And I just feel like Gary O'Neill wants to be here. Um, whether or not long-term he's going to be the correct fit Reigns to be seen, but at the moment, I just I don't know. I've really come around to him, and I think that there's going to be some some really exciting times ahead. Yeah, um, I, I'm really chuffed with the with that attitude that they all seem to have at the moment. And it, in theory, you know, it shouldn't matter if we're against one of the big boys. And interesting when you look at Wolves' results against the big six. Um, in this calendar year, we've only actually lost one, and that's to Liverpool um, this season. You know, we beat Liverpool back in January. We beat Spurs at the end, towards the end of last season. We beat Chelsea um, at the end of last season. We obviously lost Liverpool earlier this season. We beat Man City, and now we've beaten Spurs um, all at Molyneux, and it is becoming a real fortress again. And you know, I think whether we can have do it at least against you know, it, it's it sounds bad when we say it, it's 
it's always dependent. Wolves's league position is more dependent on how we do against West Ham, Crystal Palace, Brentford, Everton level, because we're all vying for the same points. Um, but actually, we have now made it a place where teams will be worried about coming to. Um, you know, you'll have opposition fans now, hopefully, kind of looking at the fixture list and going, Ooh, got Wolves away next week. That's not going to be a fun one. Whereas we definitely didn't have that under Bruno Large. Um, and I doubt we really had it under Lopetegui. I think I think the key to the success from that point of view is when you are playing your teams that are sitting further back or aren't going to have um, allow us to play a counter-attacking game, how do we unlock that door? Because it's something that I think nearly every manager under the Poston era has struggled with at times. You know, you look back to Huddersfield, everybody talks about and take games that, you know, it's just football heritage, isn't it, of Wolves to lose to Sheffield United, but gain us points back at Spurs, not beat Luton, but beat City. It's just, it's in our DNA and, you know, there won't be long-term success until we can kind of turn that around. And I'm hoping Gary O'Neill is the man to be able to do that because tactically he's obviously very astute. He, you know, he certainly enjoys talking a good game about it. Um, you know, the whole Monday night football thing. So it's just the one worry from yesterday and listen, it was a fantastic result and, and the Hollywood ending was, was great, but I felt like we looked like we were running out of ideas a little bit towards the end of the game. And then all of a sudden that's that one piece of magic just switched everything around. Like they only looked like one team was going to win that game, but it, it's how you break down those teams that sit back and really not let it's about not getting dragged down to their level with as much respect in the world to Sheffield United there. They're awful. They're, they're truly terrible. Um, and our success this season will be not based on turning it on against the big teams, but turning it on against, you know, your your relegation fodder. Definitely. Um, and, and rather interestingly, um, I, I did love something that Gary O'Neill said post-match, um, which a friend of the Fancast Parish, uh, Ben Husband, said that he Gary O'Neill was like, I thought the job would be harder considering the comments of a former manager. <laughs> that is a that is a burn. You know, you've got Lopetegui still hanging around Wolverhampton in case a big job comes up. I feel I believe he is potentially about to go off to um get the Saudi money. Um now Nuno's been sacked. But yeah, there, there seems to like be a good vibe at the moment around Molyneux, um, which which is all we can ask for. And um, this puts Wolves now having scored in 11 consecutive Premier League games, um, 18-match run between August and December 2019 is the milestone to be. And again, it's, I guess, a little bit reductive in a way, but we're now going into games expecting that Wolves are going to score. It's still not, you know, we're still not going to score three or four or whatever. But fuck me, like, but the opportunity is just going. Actually, you know what? We're going to get at least a goal here if we can just be sensible at the back. Then we're always within with a chance at the moment, and de- definitely that's something that has very dramatically changed considering the last twenty-four months at Molyneux. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, 
I'm glad that we've kind of broke the back of that stat of or the, the media narrative that we can't score because it was getting really depressing. Um there is a horrible stat about how many we've conceded as well, though. As I said, as I said in my, my comments yes. yesterday, I know we try to let's talk positive when we can. I think um, it's going to be really interesting to see over the next the, the remainder of the season with like Dawson's suspension and, and other and other things how we we go from that front because um, I don't necessarily want this to turn into like a Kevin Keegan squad as long as we score four. It doesn't matter if we concede three. Um, but it's certainly made the game and football a bit more exciting to watch, hasn't it? And it, it's given a bit more sizzle and spice, um, it being a bit more kind of end-to-end -end and goals going in here, there and everywhere. Yeah. And to be fair, we're not looking awful defensively, um, but we are still having those kamikaze moments, um, particularly, you know, like that Brighton game, for example. Where, you know, the wheels just fell off. Um and uh, again, it's going to be a case of, well, how do we stand up when we do have those blips in games? And, you know, do you start conceding one or does it, you know, snowball into conceding three? And uh, you mentioned Dawson, Matt, and I'm interested to sort of hear people's thoughts on this because I've seen a lot of stuff from angry Spurs fans on Twitter, which, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put them in their own special category, I guess. Um but they they were under the illusion that Dorsetson should be sent off um, for two incidents involving um, Son. Anything in either of them for you guys? No. <laughs> just just out and out. No. I mean, his foot was happened to be in a very uncomfortable area for Son on the second challenge, but it's clear it wasn't intentional. There was nothing in the foul that that made it inherently a red card. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything in it. No, it smacks of desperation. Desperation from a team that were higher than fans with a, of a team that were higher than they thought they were going to be in a game where they thought they're probably just going to, you know, hold on to that one nil win. It's it's the it's the it's the murmurings of desperation, isn't it, from a team that says, "Hang on, there was a couple of challenges that were a bit more robust than we we used to." Um, we need to find a reason why we lost yesterday rather than just admitting that they were outplayed because they do have a lot of injuries. Well, they have important injuries. I'm guessing their two best performers of the of the season so far, barring Son, weren't available yesterday. But no, there was nothing in either of them. I think it just smacks of desperation personally. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I think for the, the second one where it's a... Uh... As, as the YouTube comments says, uh, unintentional nut stomp. Um, great band name. Um, anyway, um, like I, I personally thought Son was doing a bit more for fouling, to be honest. And I think on another day, I think a ref just says carry on. And I'm going to say it. I actually thought the ref did quite well yesterday. Um, by and large, I think you let the game flow. Uh, when he needed to, and he was consistent in what he was dishing out cards for personally. Um, apart from, I think there was one on the halfway line. I can't remember, it was just before we scored. But I actually think he controlled the game quite well personally. Um, and you know what? I slag off refs quite a lot. They deserve it. But I didn't think he was all that bad yesterday, um, to be honest. 
Yeah, it was just fine. I mean, there was nothing really to complain about other than uh, one of the Tottenham players should have been died for booking and I can't remember what happened, but it was in our end. He awarded a goal kick despite the fact that, that I don't know. Anyways, it doesn't really matter that much. And yeah, it was just fine. Yeah. Which is sort of what you want in a referee, isn't it? Um, you know, the fact that you don't have to talk about it is usually a, uh, it's usually a good thing. And I think, um, yeah, it, it was a shame to see Dawson get that booking because it does mean he misses for Fulham game. And I know Fulham are without uh, Polina, um when we play them on the 27th of November. It feels like a, feels like it's going to be a long old wait between games now, um, which is a bit bit of a frustrating one. But yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We will get there. But um, we've got, a, I know, it's, it's an interesting couple of fixtures we've got coming up. And they, they come thick and fast at, at the end of November, start of December, as you know, because um, well, we try and fill, fill in as much as possible in the December period. But we've got Fulham at home, then Arsenal at home, Burnley away, and then Forest away all within the space of, well, a, a couple of weeks, um, just short. Um, scores on the door, just because it's it's nice to look ahead. How many points are we getting in those four games, guys? I'd, I'd like to say, I'd like to say seven, um, realistically. I think Forests have an unbelievable home form, don't they? But away from home, they're, they're awful. Burnley uh, should be awful. I mean, look, you know, looking at where they are in the table. Arsenal, you expect to lose to him. Fulham, I, the Jimenez will probably get a second. He was only he scored today, didn't he? Um, he did, yes. But, it was a um, consolation, but yeah, yeah. You know, I expect him to probably get a goal just because that's how life works. So realistically, seven. But I, w- you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that ended up maybe being five, maybe a, an unexpected draw against the Burnley or someone like that. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd take between five and seven. I think that's uh, I think that's quite healthy. But he said no impulse. It will be that we get a draw against Arsenal or we'll lose to Burnley. That 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 would be the Wolves' way, surely. Yeah, it's it's not out of the realms of possibility that we go unbeaten in that run of four as well, is it? I think that's that we we cover the whole gamut, don't we? As a, as a club, we can. I don't know. We can lose to Burnley, who look as bad as Vinny Company does in his suit and cap in at the end of the game so we should take it off when he has his interviews after the game it's just the other side i can't stand it but um we could definitely go unbeaten in that run and, and still only pick up maybe five points out of it but i think blake touched on it earlier i had us finishing 15th this year but only based on the fact that i thought there just would be teams way worse than us and i didn't expect us to be anywhere near the points per game that we're getting at the moment and the fact that i can after Three or four weeks ago, I was on here saying that I thought we had a geography teacher in charge of our team to now thinking that uh, maybe we can go unbeaten in these next four is a, is a lot of humble pie. I'd say I, I, I completely see um, you thinking, so actually, you know, yeah, we could go and beat and we could, you know, get eight, eight points, let's say, win two, draw two, um, or even draw all four, um, considering the opposition. But I know for me, it's you know, football's made up of narratives, isn't it? And if we're still playing exciting football, people see it as that we're going unbeaten rather than we're not winning. And I feel like at the moment, there's a nice feel around the club and we're all very much on that 
you know what, we're unbeaten. And it might not always be a win, but we're staying in games. And that's really important. And, uh, you know, looking at the league table, we're 12 games in now. You know, we're we're, we're effectively, what, just short of a third of the way through the season now. And on 15 points in 12th, maybe a lot of people didn't quite predict it. I kind of thought we'd finish between 12th and 14th this season. Off um, going into the season, even before Lopetegui um, ups and left, just because there is quality in that squad. But I was always hopeful that there was worse teams in the league than Wolves, and I think that the league table is very much showing that there are worse teams than Wolves at the moment. And it's nice to be at a point where we're looking up the table and working out well. You know what? If we do beat Fulham. And a couple of teams lose. And yeah, we get a draw against Arsenal and we get that win against Burnley. We could be pushing ninth quite easily there or even getting into eighth. It's nice to dream, isn't it, boys? Dare to dream, dare to dream. Dreaming is for free. <laughs> dreaming of finishing ninth. That's a dream, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, considering after the first few games and the, the start and people waving the white flag already, I think ninth place is... It's getting nosebleeds and all sorts, um, to be fair. But actually, the, it's funny how expectations shift, isn't it, as the season goes on. Um, but, I mean, you look at after the, the the table today, how it drifts some of the teams at the bottom are already. Whilst the title race might be get super exciting, that those bottom three are looking like more doomed by the day, aren't they, by the fixtures? <laughs> I'll say, the only thing that's going to make, at the moment in time, the only thing that's going to make it interesting is Bournemouth. Um, and working out if it, which of three out of four at the moment. Although Bournemouth did get a good win yesterday, so who knows? They could kind of push themselves up. And there's a couple of teams down there um, in terms of Forest and Fulham for me, who might quite. I, I think Fulham have probably got enough about them personally. But I know we're playing them in four games' time. I'd quite like Forest to get second season syndrome, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, they they can go and go for another thirty years for me. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'd say I, I'd be very polite and courteous about it. I, I was hoping someone else would step up and um, air their thoughts on the matter. But yeah, life's good as a wolf stand at the moment, everyone. And that's where we'll wrap up the show today. Um, big thanks to everyone who's listened. Unless anyone else has got a last minute wonder point to make, um, Alice Sarabia, we'll close it off there. No, we're all, we, we've all given ourselves in the, first, in the first 59. Don't worry, guys. Um, big thanks to everyone who's listened, everyone who's watched live on YouTube, everyone who's watched back. Uh, don't forget to like, share and subscribe if you can. It means a lot to help us grow the channel. Um, if you're not already, um, make sure that you follow us on our social media play pages. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, YouTube. Anywhere and everywhere, guys. Massively appreciate it, as always. We will be, hopefully, back to preview the Fulham game in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and until then, it's goodbye from Blake. See you, everybody. It's goodbye from Ed. See you later, everyone. It's goodbye from Matt. Take it easy, everybody. Have a good week. And it's goodbye from me. See you next time, guys.